and welcome to another episode of Trash or Treasure, the podcast where I, Kim, and I, Amy, yeah, weird syntax, sorry about that, we give spoiler-free summaries and recommendations of romance novels, helping you to find your next romantic read, taking a little bit of the guesswork out of it for you. This week, we are bringing you The Independence of Miss Mary Bennett, written by... Colleen McCulloch. Am I really? Yes. Am I the person who always has to remember who wrote stuff? Oh, 100%. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you always remember character names as well. I'm always like, that chick did a thing, and you're like, actually, her name was blah, blah, and the thing she did was this. Glad I have a purpose. Um, You have so many purposes. It's certainly not giving spoiler-free plot reviews, uh, summaries, which I will be this time. You sure will. Yes. It's your, your job this time. So, Amy... Once again, you are going to bring us a spoiler-free plot summary. Why, thank you, Kimberly. Take it away. The Independence of Miss Mary Bennett is, as might be implied by the title to those of you familiar with Pride and Prejudice, is a sequel. Yeah, like a follow-up or it's, a spin-off. Yeah, it's like a spin-off. And in some moments, it's a slight reimagining of yes. Pride and Prejudice. So it takes place about 20 years after Pride and Prejudice. I'm going to spoil Pride and Prejudice because, I mean, if you're interested in romance novels and you're not sure what happens in Pride and Prejudice... I think the statute of limitations is well expired on Pride and Prejudice. Yes, go yeah. on. So Elizabeth marries Darcy, Jane marries Bingley at the end of Pride and Prejudice, and Lydia runs off with George Wickham. So this then leaves Mary, the middle child, who in her youth was considered her father always called her a silly young woman liked books but read really boring like sermons and things like Mm. that thought she was really good at singing but embarrassed the family by singing publicly when she was awful so mary's at home kitty the remaining daughter marries well so what then happens and how the novel opens is mary has been given the care of her mother. Which was always, that was quite common in the era when you had many children. daughter yeah. would. Yeah. You'd have someone who was going to be left behind to look after the parents as they aged. So after Mr. Bennett has passed away, Mr. Darcy puts arrangers for Mary and the mother to live in a sort of self-contained cottage. Yeah. So on page two, Mrs. Bennett dies. And Mary's response to this is, Thank God. I'm free. Yeah. She is 38 years old by this point in time and has blossomed into a... Being someone in her mid-30s, I'm going to still say a young woman. (laughs) But in the Regency era, no longer considered quite a marriageable age. Oh, God, no. She considers herself a spinster. But she's described in the book as being a quite close look of Elizabeth. So she's become quite quite attractive. attractive. She does not realise this at all. Mary considers herself a spinster and she decides that her purpose in life is she is going to go and investigate the conditions of the urban poor in Manchester and she's going to write a book because she has become, she imagines herself to be in love with a columnist in a newspaper article called Argus and Argus writes about the conditions of the urban poor and things like that. Yeah. So she's kind of like made a kind of narrative in her head where, yes. you know, has decided who this person is. So and she's going to go off on a quest. Darcy and Bingley have settled some money on her. She yeah, withdraws which, that. You know what? Totally fair because her 
not marrying and staying to look after the aging relatives. This is her payment. This is her, she has arrived. But Elizabeth says that. But Elizabeth says to Darcy that you've given her £8,000. That's not enough to live on. Mm. You could have given her so much more. So this is where Mary is at the beginning of the novel. But we also follow Darcy and Elizabeth's relationship. They've got five kids. They've got one son who Darcy does not like. He thinks he's effeminate. Yeah. And four daughters who Darcy shutters away because he doesn't want them to turn out to be like Bennett. So at this point in their marriage, Darcy is regretting his marriage to Elizabeth because her family is so embarrassing. Yeah, Jane, and that, that never that never went away. Yeah. Jane and Bingley live nearby to Pemberley and they have 13 or something children and they're all boys except for one girl and part of their narrative is Jane keeps getting pregnant yes <laughs> and it's not good for her kitty is lady kitty menadue she's the widow of an older lord that she married and had quite a happy marriage she's a leader of society so she's well taken care of and lydia is a drunk yeah she's a mess she's she's a mess quite soon after their marriage the book tells us darcy arranged for wickham to be sent very far away He's in America or he's fighting in the war or something. And Lydia is pretty much, she takes lots of lovers and she gets paid in alcohol. So she's a sop. So in this book, we follow a lot of different, like it doesn't just follow Mary. We spend time with all a lot of different character plot lines, which is really entertaining. So we also forget to follow Darcy and Elizabeth's son, Charles, mm. who's a scholarly young man at university, and he's quite a significant character in the story. But the other character is Mr Angus Sinclair. He is the publisher of the newspaper or magazine that publishes Argus, and he has been always... He hasn't married because he's always been a little bit like... I think I would have liked to marry Elizabeth. Oh, yeah, right. And then he meets Mary. Yeah, right. And quite quickly. So Mary has taken, drawn out all the money that was settled on her, which everyone's perplexed by, and she has rented a house for a bit and then she's going to go and set off on her adventures. So while she's renting a house, Angus works out a way to meet her Mm. and very quickly he comes to... Decide that she's the one for him. Yes. So then Mary sets off on her quest and she travels really, really, really cheaply, stays at really, really, really cheap places and thinks she knows everything and that she will be fine because she's a spinster, she's old. And no one would be interested in her. That, however, is not the case. And Mary meets with some mishaps along the road. I won't say any more about that because that's then significant to the yeah, yeah it's that's the setup two-thirds of the yeah, book you've set it up. but there is I, I guess half the novel is sort of mary and her coming of age yeah and her gaining of independence as the title suggests but the other half of the novel is the relationship that has deteriorated between lizzie and darcy yeah. and the i'm also going to say coming of age of that but the sort of resolution of that relationship the finding within, of happiness within, within their that. family yeah And part of that is Darcy, who is set to become the next Prime Minister of England, is very, very controlling, and he thinks the thing that matters is that Darcy of Pemberley must be the most respectable person ever. So he has this sort of sinister henchman, Ned Skinner, who is keeping an eye on Mary and who sort of tracks everyone's movements and manages, you know, 
manages Lydia and manages. Yeah. And he's this sort of... Which is why he resents Elizabeth, because he feels that so much of his energies and money goes into trying to manage the fallout of that her family produces. Yeah. So you get to change... Keeps it fresh. Yeah. yeah. It's a very detailed like, you know, plot setup. You all know this that either I give you a detailed plot setup or I give you two sentences. There's a guy and he needs a girl and I don't want to ruin it, but I think they fall in love. Like <laughs> there's gotta be a middle ground. Uh, Kimberly. Sorry. Kimberly. Sorry. Now that I've given you a really, really detailed plot setup. And thank God because yes, I I know that you were a bit rusty on this <laughs> I novel. I was rusty on this novel and now I'm back. Would you recommend it? Yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, so I am rusty on this novel. I have not read it in a couple of years, I would say. And I remember when I read it, it was my favourite of the Pride and Prejudice, whatever. Follow-ons? Follow-ons, yeah. And I was not a huge fan of Pride and Prejudice. I like the story and I love the adaptations. There are some really good series and film adaptations. But I read the novel and didn't like the way the novel was written. Like, I didn't enjoy the voice, which is a totally different kettle of fish. Fish language. And so I've read quite a few of these follow-ups and this one is by far my favourite. And I think the reason I love it is because... A, Mary is the character for me that I was just like, poor Mary. Like, if anyone was going to have, if I wanted to know about anybody else, someone who who I might want to kind of be in their corner and really root for their happiness to happen, it was definitely Mary It's not me. just you, because Mary, I would say, is the most commonly written about what happened next. Yeah, right. There's so many follow-ons or sequels to Pride and Prejudice she that give Mary a happy ending. She just tried so hard and no one looked at her and I just always really felt for Mary. So I really love that. And I also adore that her happy ending is not several years after Elizabeth married Darcy. He introduced her to Jack and Jack thought Mary was a bit of all right and they got married. Like, I'm mm. so glad that it's not that, that... Yeah, she looked after her parents and all the rest of it, but I love that she, this book I love because she actually, it is about independence. Like, she's her own person. And because in her head, as silly and uneducated and... Well, she thinks she's very educated. No, I She's read many books. Yes. And so sort of ignorant of the world, I guess, as she is, she doesn't see herself as needing a husband. And there's something delightful about, and very modern, about romance novels where really she could take you or leave you. She doesn't need to marry you. So either you add to her life and she would like to include you in in her next adventure, or you don't and she doesn't. So see you later. That's part of the romance in this is Angus working out how to... How to make himself need to be included. How how will Angus value add to Mary's life? And because she is so oblivious to so many things, she's such a delightful character and he's so earnest and lovely that watching them kind of bumble through and she's so oblivious to what he's trying to achieve. There's just no, I guess there's just no artifice to it. It's just, it is what it is and it's really endearing. And even though she's, like I said, totally ignorant and out trying to champion for the urban poor, it's like even that is, it's earnest. She is just such an earnest character that she you can't have purpose yeah and you can't and i also admire that i admire her in an era that was like oh you're a woman who didn't marry and won't have children and now you're in your late 30s you should just go hide in the country and die 
And she rejects that. She rejects it and says, I want purpose and goes out to find a way to give her life meaning that doesn't have to rely on men. And yes, she's able to do that because she is going to be financially supported through her sister's marriages. And that's, and I acknowledge that that's a thing, but yeah, it's just nice. I I think that's why I really liked it. And the thing is, until we sat down to talk about it, like I couldn't remember who she married. I couldn't remember that after all these years. I remember the cute little extra bits add-ons with her family. And I remember her as a character and I remember I even remember her love interest as a character, but I forget that they marry. And I think that's probably the thing that I like the most about this book is it's actually a lot of things in one. It's, yeah. It's a real fun It's a romp. lot of things in one book. And I think a romp mm. is a really good way to describe it because it's not it's not written in Jane Austen language, which no. some, some Austen reimaginings or sequels are written mm-hmm. in Austenian language. Some work and some don't. This one is written in its... I would probably call it a little bit heightened. Yeah. Because, like, the way that the characters, they're in a monologue is it's a little very bit dramatic. Silly. It's, it's a quite bit dramatic. melodramatic, yes. Yeah, it has it has an element of melodrama, but it is a romp, and some of the things that happen in it are just oh. like, what are the chances of it? Zero. But it's, it's fun and go with it. Go with it. It's a very enjoyable book. and I think that's also why I was fairly sure Lydia had syphilis in this one, because... That just also seems like the added layer of ridiculousness that should be added on top of it, but she Rid- does not. Well, ridiculous or believable. Yeah, true. Because she totally would have had syphilis. <laughs> Sorry. So I'm not going to talk about whether I would then recommend it and get Kimberly off the topic of bloody syphilis. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amy, would you recommend The Independence of Miss Mary Bennett by, oh my God, Colleen McCulloch? Go on. I totally would, and I was saying to you before that I went picked it up two days ago to just have a skim read and remind myself before this episode of what happened, and no, I spent a good five hours reading the whole book word for word. I very much would. One of the things that I really enjoy about it is the cast. I like yeah. that we get to spend time with lots of different parts of that big Bennett world mm-hmm. that existed. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that as a sequel it's 20 years later and we get yeah, to the see, amount of time is nice isn't it but you know that we talk about how romance novels aren't always like some of them get us to the marriage and that's the ending and then a lot of them the marriage might happen halfway in between and then we see what happens afterwards mm-hmm. but it's all in those early years or those early stages yeah but this is a marriage 20 years later that was you know part of that original objection Darcy has to Elizabeth when he makes his terrible first proposal is you are beneath me socially and would that have gone away and in this book it hasn't and that sort of it feels authentic doesn't it it? like it really feels like it feels real like if when you imagine after everything that's happened and historically when you put yourself quite honestly and without rose-coloured glasses in that era, when you look realistically at who Darcy was and what his social goals would likely have been, then, yes, that would never have gone away. It just would have got more and more objectionable as his social goals became more and more lofty. And one of the things that they talk about in the novel that I quite appreciated was Lizzie teases him. Yeah, right. And what does that now look like 20 years or the mm-hmm. past? 
I am a fan of Pride and Prejudice. I've read a lot of Austen. I've read and I go searching for reimaginings or sequels and things like that because I enjoy it. This book, I will say, does not necessarily hold completely true. So if you are a Pride and Prejudice purist, there will be a couple things where you go, well, that wasn't like that in Pride and Prejudice. Just, I was able to suspend that little part of me and go, see, I read Move on, Amy. This is about the independence of Miss Mary Bennett. Enjoy the romp and really, really enjoy it. Whereas I read it as an, uh, more, I suppose I can be the representative of the people who understand the story of Pride and Prejudice. I have been exposed to it many, many times because I'm a human who likes romance stories. But mostly through movie rather than Yes, book. exactly. So I'm in no way a purist. So for me, all of these Pride and Prejudice, I'm not a purist, but I... So these books for me have to stand alone, I guess is, is my point. They're not... Mm, okay, they don't rely yes, on your understanding. No. Yeah, that's... So I, I always... Think this does. I always look at them from that perspective. So some of them for me I read and go, meh, yeah, I guess, and other people really like it, but I don't feel like it adds, like it doesn't stand for me by itself. This one really does. You could read it on your own with just a Wikipedia page reading about who everybody is without needing to ever have seen or read Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I think it really does stand alone. And it also has re-readability. Certainly. It's got lots of little, like, I guess, what do they call them, Easter eggs? To Pride and Prejudice within it. But they're Easter eggs. So if you're not that familiar, it doesn't matter. But I really enjoy, like I said, that big cast of characters. And she really understands them. Like, she's really, she has... The Easter eggs or the characters? No, 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 no. The characters. Yeah. So she's... It's not, you don't read it and go, wow, you're really simulating Austen really well. It's a case of she really has understood these characters, taken them 20 years into the future, mm-hmm. and they're not the same. They're not just a reflection of or a carbon copy of the characters that appear in Pride and Prejudice. They are totally different people because I challenge you to show me a single human who is the same on a given day and exactly the same 20 years later from that point. Well, that's that believability yeah. that we really like about this. So even though it is a romp and even though it is a bit heightened and melodramatic at times, it still has that core of believability. And yeah. it also has that thing that really resonates with you and I when we read novels, which is that family. Yeah, I love the ensemble. And there are some, like, there are some pretty gruesome moments, I would call them, in this novel. Sure. That are nothing that would ever be mentioned in Austen Mm. or anything like that, but it still manages to feel, in a way, lighthearted and very enjoyable. That's its overall takeaway. Yeah. But what I can guarantee is that at the end of this novel, everyone ends up where they should. Yes. In a very happy, satisfied... It's still a romance novel. It's very, yeah, it's and still a romance promise, novel. And the promise of a romance novel, which we are still trying to nut out what that genre even means, but the promise as our current definition kind of lands is that it is the promise of a happy ending. Yes. A romance novel promises you a happy ending. It ends at a point of hope. I think as a genre they are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's They are yeah. hopeful. Mm. this novel definitely ends with hope and happiness. Yeah. And some of the characters aren't necessarily completely resolved, but you as a reader don't really mind because you know where they're going and you're happy and hopeful about where those things are. So I I actually would describe it as a little gem of a novel. It's not a little novel. No. And that's my other 
I feel like that's why I think I've never read a Colleen McCulloch because her books tend to be pretty long. And sometimes I look at them on the shelf and go, you're gigantic, I'm out. But this one, because so many things happen in it, it feels like half a dozen novellas. Like it really sometimes... Yeah, it does. It really does feel like lots of little stories. It would be a really good series. I was thinking that before, really but I was TV like, I feel like we can To all the TV producers who we are hoping are now listening in to this podcast. <laughs> Hilarious. But because it has, it's almost episodic. It is, in yeah, its structure. In its nature. Like, were there chapters? I didn't even, I think there were chapters. There must have been chapters. But it's not something that sticks in my head as that's the end of the chapter. No. It's all sort of like a continuing, ongoing, yeah. ongoing narrative. So, trash or treasure, Amy? Oh, treasure. I do treasure this book. <laughs> yeah, I look, I agree. It's and a, I it's, forget how good it is. Yes, I do forget how oh, good it I is. I forget how good it is. That's I why do we forget how good it is? Because I, I went know. back and I'll skim it and I was like, no, this is good. I'm and, really enjoying this. Reread it. Even the grim bits are enjoyable. Even you listening to your your very detailed very detailed summary, I am thinking, Oh, I need, yeah, I need to go back and reread You're it. You're gonna go home with I'm the gonna go home. Back. I'm taking that. It's home like a two today. kilogram yeah. large print hard copy. Yeah, because it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's such a good book. Yeah. So yeah, we treasure it. We very much do. A little bit melodramatic, definitely a romp. It's fun. Read it. It's nice standalone. Yeah, read it even well if you haven't read time. even if you've never read Prime and Prejudice, you're not interested in Austin. It's still a really good read. So that brings us to the close of another episode. Thank you so very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Happy reading! And just a quick reminder here at the end of the podcast that we would love to hear from you. We want your recommendations. The good, the bad, the interesting, doesn't matter. Please reach out. Send us an email at trashortreasurepodcast at outlook.com. Or we are also available at the world's most awkward Twitter handle, which Amy has to tell you about. Listen to our Twitter handle. It's the greatest. It's at or underscore treasure. Doesn't that just roll off the tongue? (laughs) And with those encouraging words, tweet or email us. We love to hear from you. Happy reading. Cheers.